companies all over the globe are developing and molding their own give-back models. My name is Christine Petrella, and I'm fortunate enough to host a podcast where I can speak with these companies and help us all learn the unique ways that companies, big and small, are doing good things in their communities and giving back to so many important causes. In 2005, the Firehouse Sub founders established a 501c3 nonprofit, Firehouse Sub's Public Safety Foundation. The charity provides life-saving equipment, prevention education, scholarships, and continued education and disaster relief for first responders and public safety organizations, as well as support for members of the military. Since inception, Firehouse Sub's Public Safety Foundation has awarded more than $62.5 million to hometown heroes in 49 states, Puerto Rico, and now in Canada. Here to talk more about the foundation and how you can support it is Robin Peters, who is the executive director of Firehouse Sub's Public Safety Foundation. Robin Peters, the executive director of Firehouse Sub's Public Safety Foundation. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks, Christine. I'm very happy to have you. And for the listeners, I am loving the background that you have. I will post a photo. <laughs> it looks great over there in your office. Yeah. So actually, it's not my office. This is our museum. So this is Firehouse Subs and the Foundation. It's all the archives from when the founders started by writing an idea on a napkin. So throughout this room, this is our big conference room. There's just great things to look at. So it's a fun place. I figured. Perfect background. It is. And where is the museum? So this is in our office in Jacksonville. This is our big conference room that we call DOD or Day of Discovery, which is where a lot of prospective franchisees and we have a lot of big meetings when everybody comes to town. So that's where it's located right here in Jacksonville, Florida. I've been all over Florida except for Jacksonville. That's one of the places when I have it on my list, I will come visit the museum. But I want to back up. We are talking about Firehouse Subs and your foundation. But I want to talk about you, Robin, and how your journey brought you into this giving space. Well, it's a long journey. We don't have enough time. So I really started out in the nonprofit sector when I started in advertising. So as a young art director, you had opportunities to work on different campaigns for nonprofits. And I really loved it. So my career took me in that direction. And when we moved to Jacksonville, I started working for social service agencies. So I really like that impact, public safety being really hands-on. You learn about your communities, you learn about the needs in your communities, and you're on the ground level. So you can really make a difference right away. So that took me to Firehouse Subs because they were one of the companies that was so philanthropic and so supportive of anything any Jacksonville nonprofit was doing. So I got to know a bunch of folks here. And then eventually when this opportunity to direct their foundation came up, I shot that resume out right away because I knew what a great company and great group I'd be working with. It is a great company and I've been reading up about it and I'd love to know more about the brothers. So two brothers came together in, what was it, 94, Chris and Robin Sorensen. They were the co-founders who opened up that first sub shop in 94. So they're former firefighters is my understanding. So why did they get into this? Well, they're former firefighters and it's, you know, it's really in the blood. And when they started Firehouse Subs, even though there wasn't an established foundation, they were already giving back to the community and just supporting whatever local activities that were going on. 
Then what really brought them to establish the foundation was Hurricane Katrina. In 2005, when Katrina hit, they went to Mississippi and they were really going to support Jacksonville firefighters, you know, a lot of their brothers in that service. So they came to Mississippi thinking, you know, just providing food. And when they got there, obviously what they found was just so much more. And it was a game changer for them. So they were there with volunteers for more than eight days, feeding survivors, volunteers, other first responders. And when they were heading back to Jacksonville, they said, you know, we can do more. It really just focused them on how they can impact communities across the country, especially as the restaurant brand was growing. So they established Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation, which is a nonprofit. So we are a separate 501c3, which really provides us with the ability to do a lot of giving back. And we get wonderful support from Firehouse Subs as a corporate donor. I went onto the website and I typed in locations and you are everywhere. And we were talking earlier, you had some really fancy socks on that say Canada on them. So talk to me more about where are your locations? We're in 49 states. That's the foundation. So we still have a few states to go and same with Firehouse Subs restaurants. And then also Firehouse Subs opened up their first restaurant outside of Toronto in Oshawa. So there is a Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation of Canada as well. They have similar guidelines. Obviously, there's going to be subtle differences because you have different countries with different governments and rules, but still great opportunities, raising funds and impacting first responders on both sides of the border. That is great. I'm happy to see your expansion. Everybody I have talked to in prepping to chat with you today has mentioned their favorite sub. It's either the hook and ladder or the meatball parm. And then there's this new barbecue Cuban that everyone was talking about. So my question to you is by going to Firehouse Subs, I'm ordering this hook and ladder. And for anyone who hasn't yet got their lunch, drop what you're doing and head over because it is smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, melted Monterey Jack. I know everybody's mouth is hopefully watering. (laughs) Yeah. So when I walk in, I order a hook and ladder. How am I helping the foundation? And what more can I do while I'm still in that store on site to help this foundation? There's many different ways. So the first thing is there's actually a portion of every purchase comes back as a donation to the foundation in the U.S. And it's guaranteed that we will receive a million dollar donation. So that is just, again, that corporate philanthropy of Firehouse Subs, which I can tell you, being in the nonprofit world for so many years, Someone writes you a check for a million dollars, man, that's awesome. That saves a lot of lives. Game changing. And then we also engage our guests, which actually, so they have something to do with saving lives as well. They can round up their purchase to the nearest dollar. It could be five cents, 10 cents. It could be 90 cents, but that small change adds up quickly. And we also recycle our pickle buckets. So for $3, and there's actually one way back in the corner if I need to dive over and get it. <laughs> do that. Actually, let me roll on back. You are the second person who has talked to me about pickle buckets today. So I, they're, oh, that is massive. So they're at a five gallon and firehouse. Wow. So I can go in and purchase one of those. And then if you had a sniffer on the computer, I can sniff <laughs> and smell pickles, which are also wonderful. The best pickles. And I'm originally from New Jersey, so I know my pickles. I can tell in that accent. It is slipping out a little bit. (laughs) I know. I don't want to have an accent because mom had a Canadian accent. 
<laughs> so that's $3. Again, goes to the foundation. Then we also have a canister and you can just throw in your spare change. I know myself, I just can't stand walking around with a lot of change in my wallet because it's heavy. So you're able to drop your change in. You know, what we want to see is that that guest gets that information. They understand where that money's going, learn about the foundation. So those are the ways in the restaurant. And then obviously, traditionally, you can go to our website, you can donate online. And we also run fundraising campaigns about twice a year where the restaurants really help and then outside of the restaurant as well. Another one that I'm aware of, another way that you are raising funds is through the Book of Giving. Mm -hmm. And so I was sent the Book of Giving. I'll hold it up here. I will take a screenshot and post it on the website for everybody. But I was going through this book and I want to talk about some of the equipment that fire departments need. And I'll be honest, this is horrible to admit, but it never crossed my mind that there are so many different pieces of life-saving equipment and something that will help bring more efficiency and bring more safety to these first responders when they are attending to, let's say, a car accident, God forbid. And when I'm going through this book of giving, I saw some vehicle extrication tools. And it didn't cross my mind that my local fire department might not have these life-saving tools. So again, horrible on me to not really understand that full scope of need. But I want to talk about how I believe it was Travis Reynolds, who was the lieutenant from the Orlando Fire Department, who said many fire departments don't always have the equipment that they need in emergencies. So can you talk a little bit about this book of giving and why it's so important that we are more in tune to our community's firehouse and first responding needs? Yes. So you make a great point. And don't feel bad. When I started here at Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation, I had no idea that such basic equipment didn't come on the truck. I mean, my expectation is there's an emergency, the truck pulls up and they've got all the tools they need. So it was really surprising to me. And when we started getting requests to see some of the most basic pieces of equipment and what can happen is you can have first responders show up to an emergency scene and they may not have the equipment they need and they have to call another department or another truck in and time in an emergency can mean the difference between a positive or a very unfortunate outcome. Extrication tools is a great example. So as our cars continue to get stronger and they build them with stronger metals, extrication tools from maybe 10 years ago can't cut through the newer cars. So there's newer tools. There's tools that now have batteries. So if a car is in a ditch, you're mobile enough to be able to go in there Also, if cars go in water, these extrication tools are now being built watertight. So it's really incredible. And they are amazing. You know, you call the jaws of life, but there's a lot of different types of extrication tools. And I think what it really comes down to is if you're in that vehicle and you're trapped, you don't want to be waiting around for the right tools to show up. That just shouldn't happen in any community. It shouldn't. And that's a great point. And I'm now more educated and more aware. It made me just want to run over and say, what do you guys need? But (laughs) with Firehouse Subs, it makes it so much easier for just the average Joe to go and get a sandwich and round up or open their pockets and get that pickle bucket, or really just pay attention to the book of giving and to all of the fundraising events that you are having. So is there a most asked for piece of equipment from these fire departments and first responders? I think what we see the most of in there, there are two pieces of equipment that I'll touch on, and they're actually discussed in the book of giving. Extrication tools are definitely 
one of the top. And also there's different types of tools. And a lot of departments will ask for something different depending on their community and what they see a lot of. So extrication tools are just not for vehicle accidents. There could be a tornado. There could be an incidence of some kind of collapse. And those tools are used for that. Also, you know, now everybody knows what PPE is. You know, since the pandemic, personal protective equipment, well, we call it bunker gear. And these firefighters and many first responders have to wear this protective gear to go into a very dangerous situation, whether it's a fire, even when they're extricating victims, they need to have that gear on to protect themselves. And now one of the protocols after COVID is to have second sets of gear because you've got to clean that first set of gear, first off, to cut down on that incidence of cancer. I mean, firefighters, that's a real epidemic in the fire service, but also to always have that clean gear and be able to go into service protected and not having toxins sitting on you while you're going out to save lives. Oh, gosh. And I know these are just estimates, but I never realized it because I never had to look this up. But helmets can cost anywhere between $250 and $300. Lots of zeros. Yes. The bunker gear, so the coats and the pants, what we see firefighters show up, that could be you know $3,000. So it's a very expensive cost. And again, we as citizens, I don't think really understand how important that is. And you mentioned COVID. So you have to have those two pieces of gear to come with you. How has COVID affected your foundation? In the beginning, especially when we do get more than 70% of our donations do come through the restaurant, which is uh, guests donating. So when restaurant dining rooms were closed, that ability to have engagement with the guests to be able to donate did have an impact on funds that were coming in. But the amazing thing is we did a lot more online fundraisers. And, you know, I think we forget how giving the community is. So while we couldn't get those donations at the restaurant, all of a sudden our website was just skyrocketing in donations, especially to support those frontline workers, because we do provide a lot of life-saving equipment there as well. But it hasn't been quite the same because the traffic in dining rooms has really not bounced back. I think it's just different. While firehouse subs, the sandwiches are still there. A lot more people are doing takeout. You don't see as much in the dining room where we do communicate and educate a lot about our foundation. So that impacts the messaging a little bit. And I think even as consumers, we become more aware and more giving, but at the same time, a little bit more careful. There's still uncertainty is the best way to put it. All right. So what's been the most challenging for you and your position? Honestly, the most challenging is we have a grant award process, and that's quarterly. So we get about 600 requests before our portal has to shut down. We used to get more than 1,000. So we are able to approve about 10% of the grant requests we get. So there are a lot of really good grant requests that we just can't approve because we don't have the funds. So we encourage the departments please reapply. It has nothing to do with how you filled out your application. It's all about funding. And I think what happens to me, I think my entire team, we look at those requests that we know, you know, they've been denied and you just almost think to yourself, oh gosh, I hope there's not a need for that equipment before the next grant cycle. You know, it really, it's hard. You know, the departments are always disappointed. And that's why we say, reapply, reapply, reapply. We've had some departments that have applied five or six times when they find they, they'll get the grant and they are just 
beside themselves. They're so happy. And, you know, they're always sending us photos. So I think that's the toughest. And Christine, I don't know if everybody realizes, even though a lot of departments might have funding from the municipality, it's not necessarily enough. Everyone's got budgets and they're still tough decisions. And even more important, there are many, many amazing volunteer departments that they don't have access to that money. And, you know, here they are working during the day and then they're volunteers. They go on volunteer shifts. I mean, they're amazing. You're talking about it's a calling to be a first responder. I really believe that, you know, going into the emergency instead of running away from it. And that's tough for you, too, because you have to be the bad guy to say no. But it's not no because I don't want to. It's no because we are working to raise the funds. We're working to get that word out. We're working on this book of giving that'll help the visibility into the community. So you have to play kind of both sides. But then on the other side, you get to call them and let them know, We've granted you know this amount of money to you, and now you're able to get the gear that is that life-saving gear we were talking about earlier. In that book of giving, I saw there's a boat, a blow-up boat, and it brought a memory back to me. So I lived in Hoboken during Hurricane Sandy. So that was 2012. It was the end of October, beginning of November. It was getting cold. My husband and I were fortunate enough to be in an apartment building. We were on the second level and no one could leave. So it was very unfortunate. I mean, so many people were living on the first level and even basement levels were turned into apartments in Hoboken and devastation across the city. We could not leave, not only because the water was too high, but but the water was incredibly unsanitary. And where were we going to go once we got out? Everyone was out of electricity. So we had candles and we made a scrabble board out of, you know, some plywood that we happened to have in the apartment. We made the best of it, but we had to get out. And we saw these boats that I saw in the Book of Giving, those blow-up emergency boats. That was the only way out for days and days and weeks sometimes. So we saw those boats, but we knew there were people in so much more need to get out than we were. We were doing okay. So we finally got out. We ended up putting trash bags on and we put our suitcases on top of our heads and we got out. And, And I thought after looking through this book of giving, it just keeps bringing up memories of times where I thought, okay, that's where it came from. And it could just be from people supporting foundations like the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation, where you're able to have those life-saving tools. And like I said, we finally got out and you know we made our way to, gosh, I think we went to Maryland just for some safety. And so everything I saw here in this book just made me think of a memory that just had so much meaning to me in the past. Have there been any stories that have been brought to you from first responders? I mean, I'm sure you hear a bunch, but are there any that stuck with you? Maybe a story that you tell over and over that helps us understand more the impact that we're making. Sure. And first, I'll address those rescue boats because they have been lifesavers during the aftermath of hurricanes, floods, because people don't realize how dangerous that water is. And even in Jacksonville after Hurricane Irma, it's very toxic. It Also, you don't know what the heck is floating around in there. And, you know, you make a really good point because all of us, if you donate, you never know what kind of impact it is going to make. But any one of us at any time might be in need of that life-saving equipment, you know, and thank God those boats were on the water. And that's just so important. And to answer your other question, there are a lot of great life-saving stories. AEDs are automatic external defibrillators. So, There's probably one right down this wall. They're very, very easy to access. And a lot of grant awards for AEDs go to police departments. They go to schools, churches. 
as well as fire departments. And they are not difficult to use. Actually, they give you the instructions straight up. So there was a school in North Carolina, and it was basketball practice. And a young man just fell to the floor. He had gone into cardiac arrest. And the first person to start doing CPR who was trained in CPR was his father, who was the coach. So he's doing CPR. They call the principal and the nurse. There is an AED right there in the gym that our foundation had donated. Everybody there knew exactly what they needed to do and did it. 911 was called. They started compressions and they got the AED, which said shock is recommended. And they shocked this young man and his heart rhythm returned. And by the time the paramedics got there, he was conscious and they took him to the hospital. He was back in school in, I think, three days. His life was saved. So you had the right tools in the right hands, but also the ability of everybody there at that moment to know exactly what they needed to do and to do it. It was almost like choreographed. They were trained. They understood the situation. They didn't panic. They did what they needed to do. I think that's the one that always sticks with me. You know, the fact that dad had to do compressions on his own son, that in itself is mind boggling, but that everybody knew what they needed to do. They worked together. They had the equipment. They knew exactly where it was at the right moment. So, you know, that's one example. And I am always amazed. AEDs are one of our largest grant awards as well. And probably more police departments request them than any other department, because what folks don't realize is a lot of times police are also trained in a lot of emergency response. So they're in their truck because a lot of times they're at that scene before the fire department, before the ambulance, before the paramedics, because they're already out and about. So they're at least able to get there and start assessing the situation and use that AED if it's needed prior to the medical team getting there. And again, that's something we don't all realize because that's usually not the stories we're hearing when it comes to law enforcement, but they are very much there supporting their communities and saving lives as well. Incredible. And I see AEDs really wherever I go. I don't know. I'm just more in tune to it in my industry, but do you see that there is a lack of AEDs available in schools or is there a certain type of building that you see are requesting AEDs? They just don't have the access or they don't have the funds for it? We are seeing more schools request them as well as we're able to provide them to nonprofits as well. So there's a volunteer and medicine clinic. There's a social service agency. We are able to provide them AEDs, especially because they see a lot of clients and as a nonprofit, obviously tight budgets. So we do see that We see it really a lot of schools. A lot of schools have, especially if they have a curriculum that includes CPR and certification for CPR training. So they, a lot of times the AED is part of that training. So they do request to have those AEDs as well as trainers. We've seen senior classes that they're all in the gym, you know, learning how to do CPR and use the AED. So that's a big part of where you can really empower members of the community to be able to, you know, know how to behave in a life-saving situation. That's so important. It's good to know that walking out there, there's probably a lot more people and citizens that have this training than I thought. I mean, my daughter, she's four. And the other day, and this is nothing to do with an AED, but, you know, she was choking the other day. 
really actually choking. And I remember I just hit her on the back as hard as I could before I was like, all right, now I got to do what they taught me to do. And, you know, (laughs) and thank God that strawberry came flying out. But oh my goodness, it just makes me think I got to go to a class. How am I not trained? You know, as a parent, it's scary. And I thought about that, the access to training. That's probably another piece of the grant request that we don't think about is you have the equipment, but how are we going to get trained on how to use it? So that's an interesting point. So what has been the most fulfilling part for you being a part of this foundation? I think it's just ongoing, just being able to give back and provide solutions in an ever-changing environment. So I look at when I started almost 11 years ago and what the needs were then and what the environment was like then and look at it today, there's a lot of things that are different. So even when the pandemic started, to be in a position to say, okay, what can we do now? And how can we provide for first responders, for frontline workers, and even have an emergency grant set up for whatever they may have needed because the whole dynamic changed, the way that they even had to go about the day-to-day. So what's really fulfilling, obviously, is to be able to provide life-saving equipment and know that the right tools are going to be in the right hands, but also to be able to look at what's happening and move with the times, adapt with the times, and really help these departments that have to make these changes and in a budget year that they have to rethink where the money's going, that we can step in and be a really valuable resource for them. What do you want us as citizens and listeners to know? How can we best support Firehouse Subs and your foundation? So I think the best thing is donate, you know, to really know that this foundation, over 90 cents of every dollar goes to the program. So it's really a great donation to make. And also, It doesn't have to be a big donation. I think sometimes very caring donors, maybe they maybe can only donate a dollar, 50 cents. That's fine. Everything adds up. And I'm also actually really excited to see the younger generation because it's a passionate generation, really trying to make change, looking at everything. And here is something that can have a great impact on so many lives. And I really believe, you know, the younger generation, they ask all the right questions and we can give them all the right answers, you know. I welcome anyone to email the foundation with questions, but it's all about donating because the more money we have available in our funds, the more money is able to go right back out into communities. And you do such a great job advertising it. I mean, when I step in, I do understand what the foundation is about. Great marketing, great advertising. I wanted to thank you because I did open up the allergen menu on your website. And I have to tell you, maybe other websites have it. I haven't seen it on other websites. You go in there and you say, I have a soy intolerance or gluten intolerance or egg allergy. The website will actually show you everything on the menu that does not contain those items once you've checked them off. And in the world today, you know, everyone has some type of allergy, it (laughs) seems like. (laughs) And, you know, we have to be so careful, but... It just made me excited because I knew when I go to get a sub, if I am buying for a group of people, someone has an allergy, I can go to your website. So your marketing is on point. Your advertising, everything you do with this foundation. I received this book of giving and it just opened, again, opened my eyes to how I need to be more in tune with my community. And that's a lot about what the Give Back Model podcast is about. It's just us realizing how we can help here, how we can help our neighbors, how we can help our community and our first responders who... God forbid, you know, we are to be in those situations. It would be so much more 
satisfying to know that they are equipped with the life-saving equipment that they need. Robin, I wanted to thank you for your time. I learned so much. What is your favorite sub? Mine is the steak and cheese. <laughs> and I get that with banana peppers. You've been to Firehouse Subs, so there is a sauce. It's the Sorensen sauce. It's got a little bit of a kick. I love it. And again, I'm from the Northeast, so I've had steak and cheese. So they do a great job, but that is my go-to sub. I will promise the next time I go in, which I promise it will be this week, I will make sure that I order one. Robin, is there anything else you wanted to tell our listeners about your foundation? Yeah, I think giving comes from the heart. And we really need to appreciate donors that are engaged, but also a lot of these companies, Firehouse being a great example, that really do embrace giving back to their communities. It's such a good thing because I think at the end of the day, we all really do care about one another and want to help in any way we can. You're doing something beautiful. I'm so happy you are in this role. I'll continue to support. For all our listeners, please head over to firehousesubsfoundation.org where you can learn more about their foundation, stories, grant awards by state, and how you can make an impact. Robin, thank you so, so much for being a guest today. It is without a doubt another foundation that I was simply unaware of the impact that I could help make as a customer. I've been to Firehouse Subs many, many times, and I understood that a portion of my sale was going to go to fire departments, but I didn't realize the deep underlying need for life-saving equipment. I did reach out to my local fire and life safety team to see how the community could best be aware of the needs for our local fire departments, and I encourage you all to do the same. I do realize, however, that might not be the next call you make realistically, so my next ask would be hit me up on social media and let me know which sub is your go-to. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Give Back Model podcast. If you're enjoying the Give Back Model, please make sure to leave a review, like, subscribe, and share your favorite episode with your friends. You can also read each episode's show notes for more information on each guest and the cause that they are so passionate about by going to www.thegivebackmodel.com.